Good morning, City Light. Hey, my name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so grateful that you joined us this morning. And uh, today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 17. So I just want to invite you, if you've got your Bibles, would you open them up there? We're going to be camping out in that text. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen with us this morning. Now, um, as a church, we've been walking through the book of Genesis, which is a book that just means in the beginning. And we've uh, seen how God created the heavens and the earth in the first six days of creation. And we saw how God rested on the seventh day. And we saw how God created man in his image. And today we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 2. And here's the reason we need to get the picture that God paints in Genesis 2. The reality is, is all of us live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a world where there's relational drama, right? Is it just my family that's got some dysfunctional relationships? We've seen friends and they're disconnected from God and we've seen people get sick and we've seen people deal with injustice and poverty and brokenness. And we have to ask the natural question if, if God is good, if he's the creator, if he's one that made all of this and this system is broken, how could he really be good? How could he still be good? And what I want to say to you today, church, through Genesis chapter 2, is things are not as they were created to be. In Genesis chapter 2, what we get to see is this beautiful picture of how God created man and his creator to live in intimate relationship. What we get to see today is a world free from poverty and justice, racism and brokenness that plagues our society now. What we get to see is God creating and giving life What we get to see God do is bless and speak and be near to his created being. What we get to see today is how God created it to be. And it's going to be a really fun picture. Now, as we jump into Genesis chapter 2, I want to just let you know a little bit about our text. Um, There's a little bit of a shift. In Genesis chapter 1, what we see God as is he is the creator. And 35 times in Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see the word God. G-O-D, God. And the Hebrew word for God in Genesis chapter 1 is Elohim. It's the picture of God being the one that created the heavens and the earth. He's depicted as the one who put the stars in the sky. That's our God. He's powerful. He's able. He's without limits. He's the one that created all things. And yet, in chapter 2, there's this transition. You're going to see the word the Lord or the Lord God. And the Hebrew there is Yahweh. Yahweh is the main character in Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to catch this, because it communicates to us and the readers that God is not just some powerful creator, but Yahweh is the covenant God. He's the one that said to the people, you will be my people and I will be your God. He's, when you see the name Yahweh, you see a God that pursues. You see a God that seeks. You see a God that loves. You see a God that engages. You see a God that cares. You see a God that is personal and affectionate and warm towards his people. That's the God that we're going to discover in Genesis chapter 2. We will see Elohim, the powerful creator God, and Yahweh, the personal, loving, present God in one. And so let's jump into our text today. If you've got your bulletins, you can go ahead and follow along. I've got a little fill in the notes for you. Otherwise, um, go ahead and join me in Genesis chapter 2. My first point for you this morning is God gives man life. God gives man life. Again, in Genesis chapter 1, everything is building up to this climax moment where God creates man in his image, right? He creates the stars, and he creates the, the earth, and he creates the land and the water, and then the animals, and then God, in his great grace, he creates man. He gives us life. And in Genesis chapter 2, what we get to do is we get to see an even more detailed account of how God gives us life. And so let's look at it. Chapter 2, verse 7. Let me read it together with you. 
It says then, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Again, the Bible is so helpful. And I love the Bible because one of the things that the Bible does is answer a question that that people have been wrestling with for thousands and thousands of years. And that's the question of how did we get here? What caused life? Who created humanity? Where did the heavens and the earth and mankind and society... Who invented all of this? Who's the architect behind it? And what the Bible is going to say is that you and I were not some product of a cosmic accident, but we're a product of God intentionally designing his people. And so I love the Bible because it speaks into this idea that you and I, God created. And we know that he's not just talking about how God created Adam here. Because you know in Psalm 139 it says that God knit us together in our mother's womb. God knows us and he's formed us and we get that picture in Genesis chapter 2. So the first thing I want us to see about the way that he formed us is that God created us with a spirit of intentionality. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 with me one more time. It says he formed the man. This is God, the creator, God, Elohim, creating his creation, which is us. And what I love about this is it, it, it's a beautiful picture of God being this cosmic potter who takes just a lump of clay and he spins it and he designs it and he works it and he makes it to be something beautiful and useful. That's our God. And if you just think about what it means, these few words, that God created man, that he formed man, that means that God is the great architect of the eye. You know, the eye is amazing. It can capture all of the colors of fall. It can capture distances and different things. And if you think about God really being the one that created man, that means he he, he knit us together with such detail that he understood, like, he gave us the ability to taste these beautiful foods. And I just love to be around people. I just think they're amazing, and they're just fun to watch. And I'm not creepy, but have you ever just noticed all of the different smiles of people? God is the one that framed that and created that. He, he architected that. And just like some of you guys have laughs, and it's, some of it's deep, and it's hearty, and some of it's kind of squealy. And some of, it's, some of you guys have laughs, and just to keep it real, it's kind of a little bit annoying. And some of you guys have laughs, it's just really fun to be around. It's just, it's just God architect all of that, you know? He's the one that gave us the ability to experience this incredible variety of emotions and colors and tastes and experiences. God's the one that architected life, and he did it with a sense of intentionality. It says that he formed me and you, that he's the one that gave us life. And then not only did he form us with intentionality, but I want us to understand how he did this. Because how he did this is going to set us up for how we're going to be in relationship with him. So let me show you how he did this. One, uh, in verse 7 again, it says, And God, he, breathed into his mouth, that's man, and the breath, the breath of life. It says that, and he breathed into his nostril the breath of life. This is God breathing on us. And what I want us to show you is not only did God do uh, and create us with a sense of intentionality, but he did it in a sense and a spirit of intimacy. And here's what I mean. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that God created everything by his spoken word. God created uh, the world, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And he said, let there be land, and there was land. He said, let there be water, and there was water, right? And so he, he did all of those things by his spoken word. But here we see Yahweh pressing in and getting near, and he just breathes life into us. It's this intimate act. Now, let me keep it very real to you, with you. Um, if we've been breathed on by somebody, that's like a little bit different, right? Like, it, 
Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and like you feel comfortable when they're like this far away, but for some reason they keep kind of inching towards you and you kind of inch backwards because for some reason they're not aware of like spatial boundaries? You know, it's like, hey, I just need a few more inches. For some reason you just don't understand spatial awareness here. And um, it's just a little bit creepy and uncomfortable, right? I mean, the reality is, is if you're in so close to me, I can feel your hot coffee breath on my face that you're kind of in a zone I don't want you to be in, okay? There's something about my wife and my kids. I don't mind them being that close. Like, I, I want them to be that close to me. I love tickling my son and, and hearing his laughter on me and feeling his breath on me. And I love holding my little girl and just having her so near. I can literally feel her breathing on me. Like, there's something about that relationship that's different than casual relationships I have with so many people. And I think God is even in the beginning communicating that, like, I want to know you and love you. He understands, like, God is the one person that wants to be so intimately close to you. Like, I try to picture this scene, and I think, here's Adam, and God just breathed life into his nostrils, and he comes alive, and his eyes open for the first time. And the very first face, the very first thing he sees is the glory of God, just near to him. And I just see the Father, Yahweh's face, just communicating with his posture. Like, I delight in you, and I created you, and I love you, and I approve of you. Do you understand that that's how the God, Yahweh God, the creator, Elohim God, that's how he looks at you and I. And the way I picture this is just like when I um, had a child, my son, the first time, um, he was born, and, you know, you're in, the, you're in the hospital, and the baby comes out, and they've got to wipe the baby down. But the first thing I wanted to do is just stare at that little baby and just see his eyes. I wanted to be so close to him and intimate with him because I, I knew he didn't understand any words I was saying, but I just wanted him to look up at his father's face and know, like, listen, you're my son and I love you and I delight in you. And I just wanted him to understand, like, listen, I, there's nothing I wouldn't give for you. You are mine and you are such a gift. And I know if that's how I feel about my son, I look at how God created life and I know that's how he looks at us. And so I look at this text and I see how God created us in this cosmic act of intimacy where he literally breathed on us. He was so near to us. But then I think, man, if that's how God brought us into the world, I think, isn't it not true that we were created in an act of intimacy and also created for intimacy with our creator? Like, I, I just don't think we ever graduate from this posture of being a people who hunger for intimacy. And I think we were created in intimacy and we look for intimacy and the reality is, is God trying to say, no, 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 no. Like, listen, I'm the God that wants to know you and be known by you. Like, I'm the God that wants to have no secrets between me and you, no posing, no hiding, nothing separating us, just me and you in close relationship with one another. And I think, City Light, this is so important for us to understand because we will be a people who hunger for intimacy and we will look for it either in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, our creator, or we will try to find it in a thousand lesser places. There's some of us in this room that we get this and we found an intimacy with God that just, it's just so much greater than everything else that we found. And there's some of us in this place right now that you're looking for intimacy in the wrong person, in the wrong relationship, on the wrong website. You're looking for life where there's only death. And God, the creator, is saying, listen, I created you in a spirit of intimacy. I created you for a relationship that has intimacy in it. And so stop trying to keep God at a distance but would you press in and see the God that created you and breathe life on you? And would you make yourself known to him and allow him to make himself known to you? So point one is that God gave us life. And one of the cool things about this is I want to just say, where were we before God breathed on us? What I love about this text is just in case you think you're awesome 
and you think you're a big deal, um, don't miss that we were but just a big pile of dust before God breathed on us. I think you look at this text and you don't walk away saying, man, I'm such a big deal. I think you walk away from this saying, wow, God is an amazing architect and designer and life giver because he took that which was dead and he brought it to life. He took that which was formless and he formed it into something. And I don't want us to miss something about God and the gospel, even in Genesis chapter 2. God alone is the one that can bring something that was dead and breathe it into life. That's what he's doing in people's lives even today. Um, God, in his powerful breath and his work, is able to bring things that were not alive into life. And he does this not just with us physically, but he does this with us spiritually. Let me show you how this begins to work out. Look at Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10. We're going to have the verses on the screen for you. It says this, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. That's our, those are the people that are, are physically alive but spiritually dead. Breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army Ezekiel is saying, oh, no, 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 what I need, I'm surrounded by people. What I'm surrounded by people who are alive physically, but dead spiritually. And, and this is one of those things that happens when there's a consequence of sin, where in just a little few verses, what we're going to see is Adam is going to rebel against God. And so there's going to be this disconnect in our relationship. And here's our reality. All of us are physically alive, but we come into this world spiritually dead. And Ezekiel is saying, no, 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 I'm surrounded by all these people who are physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. There's a brokenness. There's a fractured relationship between creator and creation. And he's saying, what I need isn't just another sermon, another prayer gathering. I, don't, I, I, don't need, I just need a power from above. I need God to breathe on that which, which is dead and bring it to life. He's saying, oh God, would you come and would you bring things to life? And just like God chose to breathe Adam into existence in life, God has chosen to breathe on us. And we are a product of his moving and of his grace and of his, his goodness and of his power. He alone, he alone is the one that saves. And we see him do this through the personal work of Jesus Christ. He comes into our lives. His spirit makes known to us who Jesus is and the reality of our sin. And he comes and he breathes a new life. And he does this spiritually for us. And there's areas of all of our lives that were once dead, just broken and fractured. And God has breathed on them. And he's brought a power and a life to them. And he's made them alive. Man, I look at this and I just say, man, we can never move from the posture of just saying, God, you are the ultimate life giver. You give us life physically. You give us life spiritually. And you see this played out in Jesus' ministry where he walks up to Nicodemus and he says, listen, you know all the rules and you do all the right things, but my friend, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is saying, how could that be? I'm already alive. What, what, how? He's saying, no, 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 you need a spiritual birth. You need a spiritual birth. A birth that comes into us from the Holy Spirit coming and working us from us from the inside out. And I say, look at this text. The breath of God is the very thing that still makes dead things alive. And so I'm just always aware when I preach sermons like this that, that man, I can preach and I can pray hard and I can scream and I can get people excited, but God alone is the one that breathes life. And he creates life physically and he's the only one that can move people in this room into a greater intimacy in life with him. So God, would he keep doing that in here? Amen. Now, point one is God gives man life. Point two is God gives man a place. Um, he gives him a place. He gives him a home. So God creates Adam, and then he gives him a place to live. And um, this is how that's worked out in my life. 
Um, three years ago, we, my wife and I realized we were having our first kid. We were expecting, we were really excited, we got really pumped up, and we thank God for it. And then the first thing we did is drive directly to like Babies R Us and uh, Target and Home Depot because we went home and we were like, man, we need a crib and we need like a changing table. We got to have a place to change diapers. And then we need like, we got to paint the walls and decorate. And then like, my wife was like, I'm going to nurse. I need like a nursing chair. And I didn't even know you needed a special chair to like nurse a baby. And it's like, I like a hydraulic lift and like a massager. I mean, it's insane, you know? And so um, we got all this stuff and there was a certain amount of joy that came in just preparing this place for this new life, our son that was going to be coming home and existing in it. And I look at this text in Genesis chapter two, and that's exactly what our God does. He says, I've created life. And because I've created life, I've got to have a place for this life to thrive. And so let me show you how this works out. Um, God creates a place called Eden. It's a garden. And uh, he places Adam, the first man, in it, the garden. And uh, Eden simply means, in Hebrew, delight. It means delight, which means um, the garden was a pretty awesome place to live, okay? It, it was not JV. And uh, I don't know, when you picture Eden, this perfect place, this beautiful place, what kind of colors come to mind? What do you visualize, visualize being in the garden? Like, what textures do you see? What, what, do you, what do you experience if you put yourself in this text and said, okay, yeah, yeah, this is what Eden would look like. So, so I did this this week, and I just was like, man, here's what my Eden would look like. There's always a rock star parking spot in my version of Eden. There's never a traffic jam. There's always coffee, and there's always free refills, and there's always like a 90s rap song going on in the background, you know? Like, it's just a hits all day, and uh, you just get to jam out, and so it's just like this fun, like, oh, let's just, let's just dance a little bit, you know? It's just a little wild. So that's my version of Eden, but I want to look at what the Bible has to say about Eden and just say, let's break down how God designs this here. So look with me at verse 8 and 9 in chapter 2 of Genesis. Here's what it says. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight, pleasant to the sight, and good for food. Catch that at the very end, verse 9. Pleasant to the sight and good for food. Again, just like a good father provides a place for his children to live, that's exactly what God's doing here. But in verse 9, he says he filled the garden with two things. Something that was pleasing to the sight and something that was good for the good for food. And so he's saying, I'm giving you beauty and I'm giving you provision. First beauty, second provision. And so let me break this down. God, if you notice, he gives beauty first. He says the garden is filled with colors and creation and it's gorgeous. He's saying, I've made it to be pleasing to your sight. And this is, again, is just an undeserved gift from God to man because he's saying, um, he could have just created this mono-toned formless, really boring garden. But what he does is he creates life and he creates it in a beautiful thing. This tells us a lot about God. He's an artist and he's an architect. He's creative and he is able to create beauty. And he understands that beauty inspires, that environments matter. Like that's our God. That's what he did for Adam. He gave him that great gift. And um, the second thing he does is he says, hey, I, I created food that is good for food. And so I want to also say, listen, if you're a fan of a, a good meal, then you need to be a fan of God because he could have just created ramen noodles and some really boring breads. But what he did, he said, I created all these diversities of flavors for man to enjoy, for humanity to enjoy. And so like when you have a good meal, you need to realize that God is pretty awesome. So here's how this plays out in my life. When I get with my wife and I say, babe, we're going out on the town. We're going to go big time tonight. And I take her to a really classy joint like, Chick-fil-A, you know, and, uh, and I get to Chick-fil-A and I order my chicken strips and I get all my dipping sauces lined up and I get my sweet tea and I put a little 
extra salt on my big waffle fries, and I just start smashing, smashing, smashing. I pray before and I pray after because I say, Jesus, you are awesome to create all this goodness for me to experience. Amen? I mean, it just like brings me to worship the Lord. And so when I look at this, I see that God is so good to Adam that he's with, with him and he's providing for him and he's creating beauty for him. But what really what makes me hungry for the garden what makes me want to experience the garden isn't that it's just pretty and there's some nice food there. What makes me experience and want to experience the garden in greater ways is just like, man, God's there. You know? This is a world without shame or guilt or separation between creator and creation. Like, there's this perfect relationship between Adam and God. And this is the God that's given Adam great gifts. He gave him life and beauty and provision. And if that's the God in the garden, like, I want to know that God. And in... Uh, Genesis 13, verse 10, it says that the gar- it was the garden of the Lord. It's the garden of Yahweh. And what he's trying to paint this picture of, of is here's God dwelling with his created man in perfect intimacy. Adam is getting to hear the very voice of God. Adam is getting to see God. Adam is getting to encounter God. Adam is getting to experience the blessings of just being near to his creator. And he's getting to say, God, you made that? How did you make that? That's awesome. God, you gave me this gift. You're amazing. God, how did you even think of something like that? And like, that's the kind of dialogue and conversation Adam is getting to have with God. And I just look at this. I said, man, like I think Genesis chapter 2 is in the Bible because one, like when we see created beauty, don't just think, man, that's a nice mountain. But would you point that praise and that worship up to the one that built the mountains and shaped the mountains and formed the mountains, right? Like, he's the one that created beauty. He's the one that created creation with order and shape. He's the artist that, that just used the world as his canvas. And he's also the one who created all these great foods. And so when we have a meal, we say, God, this is your provision. Even now, Jesus taught us, like, pray to, the, pray to God. Like, that you would be the one that provide my daily bread. Like there's this dependence and gratitude every time we eat that says, man, God, you are the one that created this. You're the one that provided this for us. And then I look at Genesis chapter two and I see a world that I don't see and I don't experience now. And there's part of me that just longs to be with the God that created this garden in greater ways than I can right now. Like there's, there's going to be a deeper intimacy in my relationship with God on the other side of eternity. And there's just part of me that says, God, would you just come back? I long for you to come back, Jesus, and, and right every wrong and undo every evil. God, that you would bring life where there's death, that you would cast out all poverty and brokenness, that, God, you would erase all racism. Like, God, there's none of that stuff in the garden, and I just want to be with you, and I want to be in the world that you created uh, as it was. So, Jesus, would you come back? Would you bring a new heavens and a new earth? God, would you undo all that we've done to pollute this place? And it just, like, makes me really hungry to experience God in greater ways. So we say, Jesus, would you come? You came once to save. You're coming back uh, to, to recreate. And so, God, I get really excited about what you've promised to do. So point one is Jesus gives man a life. Point two, God gives man a place. Point three, God gives man a purpose. And the purpose is work. Work is a good thing. And there's something about um, building things and putting your hands to things and being part of a team that creates something that just gives life. Like, um, I don't know if about you guys, but this summer I took a, a kind of extended vacation. And uh, day one of vacation was awesome. It's like, find the pool. Day two, go have some frozen yogurt. Day three, eat some chicken strips um, at the bar. Day four, uh, go on a walk and find a coffee shop. Day five, take a run. Day six, read a book. Day seven, I'm really bored. 
You know, there's just something about like, when are we going home? I'm kind of excited to open up my email and go back to work and put my hand to the plow and do something that matters. Like work matters. And I look at this text and I say, God understood that like we were created with strengths and gifts and like we wanted to use those things for a cause that was worthy. And so in Genesis chapter two, God gives man a purpose. Look with me at how he builds this out. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. And so um, notice here, even in this early text, um, God is not asking Adam to sit around and sing more praise songs. He's not saying, huh, would you, you know, Adam, really what you're supposed to do is sing along to Caleb. Maybe take a few more quiet times, spend some more time in prayer. What you really need to give yourselves to is just a little more interpretive dance or chasing the butterflies. No, he says, listen, Adam, I'm a God that worked. I'm a God that created. I'm a God that built something and you're made in my image. And now I'm, I'm creating you to work and to cultivate the ground, right? Like God created all these elements of life, like the sun and the ground and the seed but, and the water. But somebody has to irrigate and somebody has to plant and somebody has to cultivate and somebody has to bring all of those elements to life so that they work together in orderly fashion and bring life and fruitfulness. And God is saying, I've created you to cultivate what I've created. And so if you notice even in this text, work, my friends, where does it come into the human equation? It comes into the equation before the fall, which means it comes into the equation before sin entered into the world, which means that work was not designed to be a burden or to be um, some taxing thing, but God created work to be an absolute blessing to mankind. It was a gift. And if you look at the way that Jesus lives, he reinforces this. He spent the vast majority of his life um, working with his hands as a carpenter, building things. Like, Jesus understood work. And, um, and I just want to say, if you've ever interacted with somebody who's been unemployed, or you've been unemployed, or you've been underemployed, and you're kind of bored, and you don't feel like you're being able to use your gifts, like, I've been around people like that, and they are just like, Chris, pray for me. I just really want to find a job. And a lot of times I ask, like, you know, you know what, what kind of work do you want to do? Like, it doesn't even matter what they get paid. A lot of times people, it's not just because they need a paycheck. They want to work because they want to be productive. There's something in humanity that God has placed in us that says, man, I want to achieve. I want to build. I want to use my gifts. I want to go to bed exhausted. You know, that's such a gift. And I look at how God created work for man. And I said, man, he is a great gift giver. And so City Light, here's the invitation from God. He's trying to say, um, God is placing Adam here in the garden to cultivate what God has created. There's something about what Adam's work does that helps hum humans flourish in the garden. He's saying, if you will work it, you'll create order and beauty and systems and security. Like, if you will work it, it will add value to culture in the garden. And um, I just want to ask, would you, how do you see your work? Do you see it as a blessing? Do you see it just as a means to an end? You, do you see it just as, okay, this is what it's going to take for me to get paid and feed my family. This is where I got to put in my 40, 50, 60 hours a week just so I can get by. Or do we see it as a blessing? And here's why I want to speak into this. Because even in Christianity, there's this narrative out there that says, um, the only real part that God wants of my work, the only thing that he cares about with my career, is one, he wants me to make as much money as possible so that I can give my tithes and offering back to the local church. Like, right? Like, I just got to make money because God wants a portion of it back. And the other part of the narrative goes, the only part of my um, work that matters is if I tell my coworkers about Jesus. You know, if I get into spiritual conversations with lost people at work, then, then that redeems my work. But it, what I actually do with like building things and creating systems or keeping track of organization or what I do with sales, like none of that actually matters. Only thing that really matters is that I give a little bit of money, my, my money away and I try to pray for a couple of my coworkers. Like not, 
that's a really unbiblical view of work. Because God created Adam and he invited him to be a farmer, to be a landscaper, to be a gardener. And when you get into this paradigm that says God only cares about my, what I do on Sunday mornings or what I do at Citigroup or if I pray with a coworker, what you're really doing is you're separating the sacred and the secular. You're saying everything that's really spiritual and looks really spiritual over here, that matters to God. But everything over here, this, this other stuff, this secular stuff, this nine to five stuff, this stuff doesn't matter. And I'm saying, man, God came and he said, listen, all of your life now is worship oriented around. So here's what I just want to press this into you right now. If you're a plumber, I want to invite you to plumb for the glory of Jesus Christ. Like, can you imagine our city and our community without plumbers? Like, things would really stink. How else are we going to get water into our homes? How else are we going to get water into our churches, into our schools, into our hospitals? How else are we going to take sewage outside and treat it? Like, how else is that system going to happen? You try to experience the garden without plumbers, and it's going to break down. There's something about your work that creates opportunities for humanity to flourish. Listen, you work with video, you're a creator, you tell stories, that matters. Humanity is story formed. Keep telling stories. There's something about stories that help provide narratives that shape culture and change lives. Listen, you work in a hospital with healthcare. It's not just that you get to share Christ with patients and people there in that arena that matters. Like actually helping care about people and their moments of weakness. Man, Jesus did that. And it still matters. Like, what would happen to our city if no one's there to take care of the sick? Humanity breaks down really quick. There's something about your job that matters. I just want to say, would we do it with excellence? Would we do it for the glory of God? Would we stop trying to say that's a JV calling to be a plumber? Like, the only real people who do spiritual work are preachers and pastors and missionaries. Like, that's not true. Like, what you do matters to God. God is speaking to Adam, and he's saying, listen, would you cultivate the land? Would you get your hands dirty? Would you plumb? Would you farm? Would you take care of people? Would you work? And the Bible has a lot to say about work. In Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, he's going to call us out, and he said, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you need to understand, whatever you do, whatever your occupation, wherever that is, the place that you work at, do everything as to glory of the Lord or for the good of God, for the good and glory of God and for others, and not just to impress man. What he's saying is your motivation for work can't just be to get promoted or to get a bigger paycheck or to get a job title so that you feel like you have an identity and that you're a somebody. The, the motivation you have to work would be to glorify God, to honor and bless others. Like, do it unto him because he sees your work, and there's part of your work, if you do it in a God-glorifying way, with integrity and excellence, that he's going to say, man, that is awesome. He, that's worship. That's glorifying and pleasing to me, your creator. City Light, I want to end with just this good news. As I look at this text, I just see a God that loves to give life and give blessings to his people. I want you to see that God is Elohim and he is Yahweh, that he is the creator, and yet he is also unbelievably personal. And as I look at how he's bestowed life and gifts and place, and, uh, all these blessings to man, it just makes me say, God, you are so awesome. But let me bring this back to the gospel for you. What I see in this verse and in this text is that God gives man a place. And even here, God is saying, Adam, I've got a garden for you. And even with the Israelites, he's saying, I've got a promised land for you. And even now, God has made his dwelling place with us through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But God is, Jesus came and he said, listen, even now I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. I want you to know there's an eternal dwelling place for you and the father to once again dwell in perfect intimacy. And Jesus Christ has made that possible.
He's prepared a place for you. By faith, you enter into that place and that dwelling place. And I see that God in this text gave man life. And what I realize is that like there's been a death in us spiritually because sin entered into the world. But Jesus said, came and said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. My friends, God has made it possible for us not just to experience one birth, but a second birth. That we would have not just a physical life, but a spiritual life. That we wouldn't just know this world, but we would know the one that created this world. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, by placing our faith in him, that's how we experience the eternal life. And I look at this and I say, man, ever since sin entered into the world, we've been trying to work, 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 work isn't just what we do on the nine to five. We've been trying to work our way back into good standing with God. And I look at this text and I say, man, it's not about our work and it's not about what we've done or what we will do or what we promise to do for God. It's about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He's the one that came and he said, it is finished as he cried out and he died and paid the price for our sin. And so in this place today, this is the reason we always make Jesus Christ to be the hero at City Light. People, would you never stop praising God for what he's done and how he's given to us and how he's blessed us and how he's given us life and a place and a relationship and intimacy with him. Jesus is the hero. He's been good to us. Let's pray. God, I just want to say thank you for the way that you've given us life. Lord, I I don't know everybody's story in here, but I know that I was dead and separated from you until you broke into my life and breathed life onto me. So God, if there's people in this room, even right now, that are far from you, distant from you, God, would you breathe life onto them? Maybe they're listening online. God, would you, would you breathe life into them even right now? And God, we want to praise you without ceasing because God, you are the one that broke into our life and made us alive. God, we've had part of broken relationships and fractured things, and God, you've brought life. And so Lord, I just want to say thank you. You've been good. We love you. We thank you for the place that we have and the place that we're going. We thank you that you have been so good and gracious to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.